Good morning, and thanks for joining today. We are on message number three, introducing our teaching theme for 2021. You know, each year at Access, we introduce a teaching theme to help shape and guide us along the way as we follow after Jesus into a new year. And this year, our theme is Fall Afresh, Faith for a New Day. We're focusing on the Holy Spirit and paying attention to the guidance, the counsel, the promptings, and the nudges that we get from the Holy Spirit, and we're learning to respond in faith. And this year, our teaching theme comes from 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, which states, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We've been repeating this verse each week, and we're going to do that again today as we wrap up uh, our message. But today, really what we're focusing on is the theme of love. Now, a couple of weeks ago when we introduced the theme, we talked about this dynamic that happened at Pentecost, a day in history when the Holy Spirit came in power upon the early church. There was a violent wind, there were tongues of fire that landed on each person, and the Christians went out to do amazing things. They spoke in languages that they didn't know before. Peter got up, declared the first sermon, thousands of people came to faith, and the apostles went out to do some um, some supernatural feats. They were able to cast out demons. They were able to proclaim the gospel to those who who killed Jesus. They were able to persevere under the threat of death. God empowered them to do what they couldn't do by themselves. And this essential truth is what we're going to be leaning into as we talk about love for today. You see, the Spirit of God enables me to do what I can't do by myself. And likewise, the Spirit of God empowers you to do what you can't do by yourself. And as we consider love, we're considering how God might move us to love in a way that is beyond what we would naturally do by ourselves. So I want to talk a little bit about some questions that pop up as we talk about this topic. I mean, how is spirit-enabled love different from the love that all of us know as human beings. So we're going to talk about basically three things to answer this question. Love and the human spirit, love and the spirit of God, and the challenge of love for today. God's challenge to love in our culture today. So uh, let's begin with the first topic Have you ever wondered why love can be so moving and so attractive? Have you ever wondered why love is so important to us as humans? Why people will walk 500 miles just to be with the one they love? (laughs) Why after thousands of years we're still singing and writing songs about love, dancing about love, writing poetry about love? And it's not just romantic love that we find so captivating. 
Why is it that we are so moved when we behold testimonies like Mother Teresa and her Sisters of Mercy loving those who have been abandoned on the streets? Or why is it that we find the vision of Dr. Martin Luther King and his beloved community so compelling? Well, Scripture gives us an understanding of why this is so. In the beginning, it says that God created humanity. God made the universe and planted human beings in the middle of it to take care of it, to steward it in a sense. He made men and women in his image. Certainly in the book of Genesis, being made in the image of God carried the idea of being God's representatives. We were designed to be God's representative in his created order. But it also means that we were created to love. Because at the center of who God is, we find love. Without love, God says we are nothing. Anything that we do is essentially worthless if we don't have love. Love is basic to who God is. And when we love and when we see acts of love and when we behold love in action, it moves us because that's how God has designed us to live. We are magnetically drawn to love because that resonates with a deep part of who we are as God's creation. But the story of love is also complicated by the fact that early on in human history, we fell away from God. We rebelled against God. We walked against the way that God showed us to live. And in so doing, we invited two new realities into the human experience, sin and death. Now, sin and death, we mention quite often here at Access, but it's important to understand that they are not just moral choices that went wrong. Uh, by sinning, it wasn't just choosing A over B or B over A and somehow making God angry. You see, when we got involved in sin, it created a de-evolutionary process. It was like a force that began to devastate our souls. And so choosing a life against sin isn't just about making better choices in life. It is about moving against this power that is in our lives that keeps ruining us and moving us toward death. That's why in Romans, it talks about who will save us. Paul laments how he's captivated by sin and needs the power of God to deliver him. So sin has perverted and ruined love. So many things that we think are love are actually a perversion of what it was designed to be. Like lust. Lust, we think we're loving, but we're really acting out selfish desires that fail to honor another person. Or our hunger and our desire for love is perverted and we begin to think uh, that maybe we can receive it through consumer goods or our careers or we chase after it from, from bad relationships. This is the world that we live in today. We recognize and long after love but we fail miserably to live it out. And this takes us to our next point for today. Love and the Spirit of God. The gospel is the good news that God has come to save us through his Son, Jesus Christ. He sent his Son, Jesus, to come and teach us the way of love. And then he took on our sin 
and our shame and our guilt, he went to the cross, died on our behalf, taking these things to the grave. Then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And the offer and the invitation of God is this. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you can be part of God's new creation process. You can join in the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit of God empowers you to live a new kind of life. It's important for us to emphasize this as we begin this discussion around love because we're not just trying to manufacture love when it's not there. We're trying to move into the way of God and allow the Spirit of God to transform our hearts to love beyond what our limits have been before. So there's a passage in Ezekiel that we referenced a few weeks ago that talks about this very thing. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So this is what we're trying to do together in 2021. We're paying closer attention to the Spirit of God and learning to live by the Spirit as it moves us to love beyond our limits. For some of you, this is regaining something that may have been lost during the pandemic. You know, over the last year, it's been full of discouragements of all, all sorts. And maybe you have felt your heart in a way closing up or feeling more cold. And my prayer is that you'll find in this verse and in this teaching theme for 2021, a energy and a power to live beyond what you lived before. For some of you, maybe you're newer to this message. You're new in the faith. And this is really the core of discipleship learning that you have a new identity in Christ and you are given the power of the Holy Spirit to go and live this new life. I'm excited for all that's ahead of us in terms of how we might exercise a new life in the Spirit. And one of the surprising things that I have discovered about love along the way is that it's expansive. It continues to grow. And it's not limited resources that we run out of, but as we tap into the Spirit of God, it grows all the more. You know, I remember when we were having our second daughter, Mia. Uh, my wife, Amy, and our daughter, Emmy, the three of us were quite happy and in a loving relationship. And when I discovered we were going to have another daughter, I was a little nervous at first because I wasn't sure how I could love someone else just as much as I loved my first daughter. But lo and behold, when she entered into our lives, and when I beheld Mia, and when I began to hold her and began to parent her, I felt my heart soften and melt. And I discovered over time that love is expansive, especially the love that we know from God. 
It's generative. It grows. And it, it can include more and more people under its care. And I pray that this would be some of our heart this year in 2021, as we learn to live by the Spirit of God, that this expansive effect that the Holy Spirit can have in our lives as we learn to love may take root and we may learn to live beyond our limits. And this leads us now to our challenge for today, love and the challenge of God. There's a challenge that comes to us as Jesus unfolded his ministry and taught about love. It comes to us in Matthew chapter 5. I want to read it today and pay close attention to how Jesus laid out the specifics of his love in his kingdom. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The challenge that Jesus gives us is loving our enemies. And I admit, reading these verses over the years that I've been a Christian have always made me feel uncomfortable because I know I don't measure up. I know that order is so tall, I, I really wonder if I can make it, if I can do this, if this is a possibility. But I'm also reminded that Jesus didn't just lay this out as a teaching. He lived it as an example. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, when he was unfairly arrested, when he was mocked and beaten down, and then nailed to a cross and his clothes were stripped from him, what did he declare from the cross as he was hanging in front of his oppressors and his persecutors and killers? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when I look to that example and I follow Christ in this way, I am pressed even deeper into this challenge. I can't do this, not on my own, but Jesus has created the way, and he lived this out, and he gives me his Holy Spirit to do differently. You know, over this past week, we celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. To remember his legacy, I thought I'd do some reading this year uh, and did some Google searches, and I came up with something surprising. It involved Governor George Wallace, the man who famously opposed Dr. King's march for voters' rights in Alabama, the man who was known for saying segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And he was a man who was famous for this photo uh, for opposing black students trying to enter into the University of Alabama, even after segregation was outlawed. Dr. King at one point stated that Wallace was perhaps the most dangerous racist in America. But what I didn't know about 
George Wallace without there was more to his story. See, in the 1970s, Wallace was increasing in popularity and he started making a run to be the Democratic nominee for President of the United States. However, one day while he was conducting business in Maryland, he was shot. He was shot five times and one of the bullets was lodged in his spine and from that day forward, he was never able to walk again. At the time, running against him politically was a congresswoman named Shirley Chisholm from New York. She was the first black woman elected into Congress and the first black woman to eventually run for president. When Congresswoman Chisholm heard about what happened to George Wallace, she stopped her campaign, which really angered her staffers and her supporters at the time. And she decided to go visit him in the hospital. They were thinking, now why in the world would she visit this long-standing racist who has caused so much pain and suffering on the black community? And this is how George Wallace's daughter goes on to describe it later on. She and Daddy talked real low, remembered Peggy. They prayed together, and Daddy asked her, what are your people going to say about you being here? She told him it didn't matter. I would not want this to happen to anyone. Daddy's face changed. It was just something that came over him. I think a seed was planted that day. Daddy was overwhelmed by her truth and her willingness to face the potential negative consequences of her political career because of him, something he had never done for anyone else. Years later, George Wallace would go on to denounce his racist views and his own acts that he had done to cause so much pain on the African-American community. He went and asked for forgiveness from various civil rights leaders and from different black communities, including civil rights leaders Ralph Abernathy and John Lewis. As governor, he would also go on to appoint a record number of African Americans to positions of state power. People would later write about him that he was a man who changed not only by his words, but by his deeds. George Wallace's daughter describes a time later on when he visited a black church on a Sunday morning to share his message of repentance. On a Sunday in 1979, Daddy's arrival to this church was unannounced and unexpected, but for an attendant rolling his wheelchair to the front of the sanctuary, he was alone. What the congregation must have thought when he said, I've learned what suffering means in a way that was impossible. I think I can understand something of the pain that black people have come to endure. I know I contributed to that pain, and I can only ask for your forgiveness. And as he was leaving the church, the congregation began singing Amazing Grace. I share this story with you today to help us understand, you see, that the challenge that Jesus gives us is not there just to make you feel bad or inept or not measuring up. It's because it's in this challenge that Jesus has given us a way forward beyond the human mess that we live in. 
It's through this powerful love, even love for enemies, that we can bring healing and wholeness and redemption to this world. This is the way of Jesus. You have heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Dr. Martin Luther King put it this way. What a magnificent lesson. Generations will rise and fall. Men will continue to worship the God of revenge and bow before the altar of retaliation. But ever and again, this noble lesson of Calvary will be a nagging reminder that only goodness can drive out evil and only love can conquer hate. There's a second reason why I've shared this message with you today, this story from the civil rights era, because today our nation feels as divided as ever. We are so torn up over race and political divisions that it's hard to see a way forward. I found a poll um, done by CBS this past week that had this statistic, very interesting look at what Americans perceive as the greatest threat. The biggest threat to America's way of life, says 54% of Americans, is other people in America. And this is more than twice as much that answered um, about their economic forces causing disasters or even the coronavirus, which is around 17%. I think this is crazy because think about it. The coronavirus is listed third, and yet the coronavirus has claimed over 400,000 lives in the United States and over 2 million lives worldwide. That is a serious threat. But in America today, we see neighbor as potential threat, even above the virus. This is a real problem. And one of my concerns for the church in America is that it takes on the same perspective of the world, learning to see neighbor as threat. Because at the core of our faith, we are called to love God with all that we have, and we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. So as we wrap up today, what I'd like to do is take some time for personal assessment and ask several questions. And this may not feel like enough when it comes to loving neighbor and loving enemy, but we have a year to explore this together. And I think it's vital that we do a little bit of self-work and self-assessment before we jump into trying to love the way that Jesus taught us to love. We're not trying to do this by our own energy and by our own manufactured willpower. We're trying to do this by the Spirit. And maybe the Spirit needs to bring some conviction before we move forward. So here are those questions. Are there people that you see as enemies or threats to your life today? And what kind of response do you feel welling up in your heart as you think about them? What next steps might God want you to take to love your enemies? And what do you need from God to learn to love more deeply?
As we wrap up our message, like I said, I'd like to repeat our theme verse today to remind us of this resource that we've been given in God, that we have the Holy Spirit moving us forward. So let's say this together. For the Spirit God gave me does not make me timid, but gives me power, love, and self-discipline. For the Spirit God gave me does not make me timid, but gives me power, love, and self-discipline. And one more time, let's repeat this together. For the Spirit God gave me does not make me timid, but gives me power, love, and self-discipline. Amen. And now, church, let's recite our sending prayer together today. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.